You are listening to the Pros and Content Brief, brought to you by Notch. I'm your host, Andrew Bolton, Chief Customer Officer at Notch. And along with Anda Ganska, CEO of Notch, we'll be diving into discussions with top marketing leaders as they reveal data-driven strategies for next-level business growth. Tune in to learn more, and don't forget to subscribe. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Data-Driven CMO Podcast. I'm really excited to be joined today by Suku, who I actually got a chance to meet in person in Palo Alto not too long ago, and to just talk to him about what it means to build a company like Sumo Logic, because he was there from the very beginning, to talk about the role of marketing in today's world that's continued to be uncertain and uh, filled with all sorts of pressures. And then to talk about the upside of being a, a marketing leader who serves on a bunch of different boards. I'd love to talk to you about that as well. So very excited for the conversation. And also would love to talk about your boys who you can't stop talking about anyway, because you're so proud of them. So welcome, Suku. Totally. Yeah. Thank you. And it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I still need to pay back for the coffee you paid last time in yes. Palo Alto. <laughs> you can visit me in LA and, and buy me a coffee anytime. Would love to. So, Suko, you're such a multifaceted, you know, happy, expansive person. And I could go anywhere with you in terms of talking. But let's start with your personal journey, where it all got started, when you first got interested in marketing, and how you ended up actually becoming a marketer. Sure, sure. I'll try to keep it short. I started out my career as a developer as a building large-scale distributed systems, as a coder, as a geek. I did that for over six years. And if you see my background, I was born to a business family and I'm always interested in understanding, okay, why customers buy what they buy and, and what are the market opportunities. So that drove me along with a few good mentors of mine that put me on a product strategy track it really whetted my big picture thinking other than not that engineers are not big picture thinkers, they are, but it allowed me to go get in front of customers. And I thought I was an introvert, but actually I turned out to be an extrovert. You know, I love meeting with people, selling, marketing. Anyway, that drove me to the more of the product strategy track. And I did that for over a decade. And and I bumped into marketing, quote-unquote, by accident, I would say. I was with this company called SolarWinds. We would go after, it's an entirely PLG motion. We would go after millions of practitioners. And in that role, as a product guy, I also owned the dimension aspects of it, the positioning, the pricing aspects of it. I loved it. I loved the impact that it had on, on, on the results that we could drive from that machine. That was kind of, a, it was not planned. People ask me this all the time. Did you plan it? To do, did you plan to be a CMO? No, it just happened. Hmm. And uh, that's how I just got into marketing. Interesting. So you came up through the engineering and then product route. Yes, very technical. Oh. I came up through that and then I learned the craft along the way. So what about the creative side of marketing? Because a lot of marketers, I think, who come from the creative side sometimes struggle to build that bridge into the more technical, the more commercial. So if you came up from the other side, did you struggle to build a bridge into creative? I discovered myself with the help of some great folks that I follow and 
mentors, essentially. There was this one particular mentor of mine that taught me how to do like exceptional positioning. Mm. So it's part of the creative side, right? You, Yes, you have all the feeds and feeds from the product, but how do you put yourself from a customer's lens, from a market's lens? How do you... How do you be creative in getting that message to the, through to them? He would lock me up in the room and he would not let me out until I got it. <laughs> I learned a lot from him. I owe, owe a lot of my positioning skills to him. So that's an example of the creativity that you discover along the way. And you're totally right. I've seen marketers that, that grow from the other side or even branding or even dimension side that kind of, they're always yearning or how, do, how can I be more technical? Or how can I understand the products better? It's slightly harder, I think, from that side coming in. Mm. But for me, having a technical background really helped kind of connect with the customers, which is super, super critical for you to be successful at, at the helm of marketing. You have to really understand the buyer and, and also the user. So I, I want to go deep on that. But before we go deep on your role as a CMO, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions about your role as a board member, because I noticed on your LinkedIn that you advise and you're you're involved in the boards of a few different companies. A lot of the folks who are listening to this are marketers really kind of looking to one day become board members and add their their value as marketers in that kind of forum, which is very important. And I think oftentimes marketing goes underrepresented in those forums. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about how you got started on that journey and maybe some advice that you have to our listeners around how they could get started. Sure. I think you hit on an interesting point, which is marketing is underrepresented and they kind of there's a perception that it's viewed as a cost center. It isn't. And we can talk more about that. But and the ones the the board positions that are coming to me or advisor positions or investment opportunities, they're coming inbound. And I would say just stay on your track and, and build your craft and be more comprehensive as you can and through your career and the and the board positions will come along the way. And as a board member, it's very interesting because, yes, you have to hold on to your values and belief systems about what a great marketing looks like, but then be flexible enough to step into that company and really look at it for what it is. And mm. you have to add value quickly. You know, there are a lot of board members that just sit there. I mean, I, I've, I've had experience like that, but, but if you want to grow as a board member, be able to figure out the patterns. You obviously can't go deep into their business, but look at the patterns and offer your experience, whether it is on the dimension side, whether it is account-based marketing or the branding and positioning, wherever your strengths are, try and hold on to it and add value. Recommend, mm-hmm. the, have you looked at this? Have you looked at that? And, and obviously, folks that are running the companies, they know best about what's going on. But they're bringing you in so that you can offer that broader perspective. So and I've really enjoyed that. And I've been on like five or six boards now. And, and, uh, and it's great. It, it adds to your, it also helps you be a better marketer, even in your full-time job. And by just looking at how, how the companies and the markets can be moved through marketing. Do you think that the fact that you're based in Silicon Valley helps with the inbounds around board roles? Yes, having the connections into 
the venture companies or even private equity because the board that I'm sitting on right now is is uh, inside partners driven like private equity firm. It's the connections that I would focus on as opposed to being in a particular area. Like, yeah. There are some great companies in New York, Boston area, Austin, Texas, cybersecurity. There's a ton of them as well as the Bay Area, of course. But try and build your network. It's an advice that is true for anybody, not just in marketing. Build your network. Like what you do, Randa. I mean, you came in and you, you just reached out to me and we said, okay, let's have a cup of coffee. And mm. I'm like, okay, I'm, you're not selling anything. So I, I thought, you know, I looked at your background. I'm like, yeah, I think it's, it's great. It's mutually beneficial. That's how it is. So you grow your network and you do an exceptional job of that. So, Thank you. Um, I appreciate some, something it. Something for the list, listeners to learn from. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think what you said around connectivity, especially in the venture funds and private equity being important. I talk to a lot of marketers and they don't spend enough time on this. So I'm happy that you said that because those investors are really like the nexus of so many different opportunities and they see so much and know how to place the right people on the right boards and even on the right team sometimes. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. So going deeper into your your role as a CMO, how do you think about building the right team for you, given where your strengths and weaknesses are? Yeah, it's super critical. I say that I'm only as good as the weakest member in the entire organization. Because every one of your leaders, as well as underneath, they are whatever interaction they have with customers, with sales, with with executives, with customer success, it doesn't matter. They're representing you. So I put a lot of emphasis on the team. And I also look at, let me start from the team's perspective and then I'll answer, okay, who I surround myself with. So I'm a big believer in helping folks understand what they're exceptional at and encouraging them to be in the right place at the right time. As in, if you have a person, a marketer that is really good with data, make sure you're aligning them with a project that really allows them to shine. And also as an organization, you're getting more from them. So matching the skill sets to the role is super critical because one advantage we have as marketers is that we have a lot of different functional areas from brand to ARPR to demand gen. Within demand gen, it can, it's a big world out there, digital, account-based, then analytics. So, so figure out where, how you can actually hire the team, but then also hone in the roles and purpose build some, some of these roles to allow them to grow as well. And personally, I come from the product background, very natural for me to be data driven, very natural for me to think customers first, understand the depths of the products, et cetera. Product marketing comes in. Demand gen is something that I learned. Is a, is a craft that I learned along the way. And brand is also a craft that I learned. So always surround yourself with folks that have actually done those things for a living for 20, 30 years and listen to them. And then that's a good compliment to you as a, as a leader because you want your folks to tell you that if you have blind spots that they can actually identify and tell you this is the blind spot and this, this is what we should be doing instead of that. So I try to match that way and where, where the strengths and I gravitate to that. It makes sense. Have you changed the way you think about the the composition of your team over the last 
two to three years. First, obviously with COVID and now with post-COVID or whatever we call the space and the uncertainty around us, how has the team structure changed? Yeah, thank you for that question. It also depends on each company, but but here, what we've seen at Sumo is that for you to be successful, of course, a culture fit, you know, we, we keep saying culture fit has to be there. What that really means is that as, as I thought through deeply about who has actually been successful as a marketer here, it's those folks that have the skill set. Of course, you're A plus in whatever you do, but that's not enough. Do you have the ability to connect across functions, be it within marketing or going across products or even sales? So the cross-functional attribute has become a very, very high priority for me. And yeah. in fact, I expect every single member in the in the in the organization to be cross-functional in whatever mm-hmm. form or shape, right? So it is important that for you to eliminate the silos that you see, for you to be more effective in what you deliver. You know, I always say put customers first. It's the same thing. Your customer could be like me as a demand gen person could be product marketing. Put that customer first or the vice versa. So I orient a lot when I'm hiring on the skill set where you've where you've actually demonstrated the cross-functional skill. And it's become really important. And you mentioned COVID. Yeah, it's even more important now. How do you connect with others? It's not like I can walk by and, and, and say hello to somebody and, and talk shop. I mean, it's, I have to set up a Zoom. I have to do a Slack. So you have to be willing to reach out and connect with others. And that's how you truly deliver exceptional results. That makes sense. And you've also been with the company for eight some years, right? So I guess I I have the same question and I'd love for you to get as detailed as you want from the perspective of the evolution of the team over time. Like what was really important? You tell me how big the business was when you joined, but what was really important in the first stage and then the second stage? How many stages have there been? Yeah, yeah. A lot of stages. Mm -hmm. Um, I joined the company eight years ago. It was 15 million in ARR, and uh, today we are 300 plus. Um, We've been through six rounds of funding. We went public. Now we've gone private. When I joined the company, it was a marketing team was very small. It was like five or six folks. Even before I joined the company, they invited me to an offsite in San Francisco, and it was all six people. Everyone in that room you know, discussing strategy and whatnot. So like we had one person for each function. That's it. So <laughs> like, but, but we had to do a lot of heavy lift. I don't know if you've read the book uh, Zero to One by Peter Thiel. I highly yeah. recommend that. And for me, the challenge was, okay, how do you go to one to 100? Yeah. And then 100 and beyond. So scale was a factor. But then I came from an environment where as a CMO, you're used to turning knobs here and there and then you see the results. Yeah. Yes. And my, there were my, no knobs. my team would, yeah, yeah you, you know that. So my team would make fun of me. Yeah, I will give you the knobs, but it's not connected to anything. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny. So everything was broken. NQL scoring wasn't there. We didn't have a product positioning. We didn't have product pitch. But still, the company was $15 million in revenue. So we had to significantly evolve. I had to first, I remember the first generation of dimension processes, the machine, working with sales ops and building the scoring, all of the basic stuff that you would think about. 
the content and content revolution had to be there and, and people weren't thinking about that. There was, you know, whenever I walk in, even when I'm advising or on the board, I ask them, what's your content strategy? It's really key that you think about your content strategy upfront. I've been impressed with some of the founders I advise. They themselves start to write content very early on. So content, had we had to rebuild it. And then over time, I was heavily focused on digital very early because organic traffic and organic, organically bringing in users is the hardest thing to do. And you better do it upfront. And content is really critical for that. And, you know, it's funny that when COVID happened, my peer CMOs would ask me, hey, how has your, how has your strategy changed now that everything is remote? What are you doing about it? For me, it was not as much of a change because we had done the digital transformation prior to that. And I was purposefully investing more and more into digital so that we, that's the fastest way to get a customer and also the best ROI. And that's, that has been the case throughout. So then I built the digital piece. Then we went through several forms of positioning, category leadership, change. Okay. That, so as a CMO, I can distinctly tell you that my my focus area has been different at every stage. We built the category leadership. Then we went into more of an account-based motion. We didn't have, like, we focused both on enterprise and velocity. Velocity is driven by digital. We were, we were very strong at it. But we had to get going on the enterprise side. So really hired folks that have done this before that understood the importance of going after accounts and how do you actually tie that back to this lead gen machine. We brought in some AI tools very early. This was three, four years ago now. And we put in SixthSense. Then we kind of built a process where sales marketing can work together on accounts to drive demand. And now with the private equity, we, we took yet another turn. This is the third time that we are repositioning and we are coming up reviewing our messaging and then pricing as well. So so we've probably six or seven stages, maybe over the eight years, every year there's a stage. You have to evolve and adapt. Is that partially why you've stayed engaged for all this time? Yes. Yes. That is one definite reason I love challenges. I love scale. Scale is like is a passion of mine. The other reason that I've stayed here and is, is also the people. Hmm. Some of the folks that I've hired back then are still here. And I engage with every single person within marketing as well as sales. It's an exceptional culture. That's what has kept me here. Hmm. That's awesome. It's it's unusual, as you know, for CMOs to to be in, in the job for that long. So I assume... I've heard it's 18 person. months tenure. That's what I've heard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is that your experience as well? Talking it is, to yeah. Peers? It is. And I think it's I think it's because sometimes, you know, I, I hear this from our customers. Sometimes a senior marketer is brought in to do a specific thing, like we need to we need to revamp our brand. And then when it's about growth, a different marketer is brought in. And it's difficult for the same person to expand across the whole spectrum of disciplines. So I think one way to to really do that and do that well and become an expert in each area is to go at a smaller company because you have no choice but to build your own muscle in each of those areas as you hire the people who are inevitably better at the specific discipline than you are. But you end up becoming a specialist and a generalist at the same time. 
at the same time. That is that is so sound. A lot of the folks ask me for advice on how to be a CMO. I kind of give them the perspective that uh, you have to actually go do it to, mm. to build that confidence. Okay. And your your advice is very sound, which is go in an earlier. Don't worry about the title. Go in an earlier stage and try to experience what it means to run a dimension function. What it means to run a product marketing, what it means to be data-driven, what it means to build a positioning and a brand. Yeah. And you may be strong at one thing. We are not saying you need to be jack of all trades, but actually doing it will give you that exposure. You can then go hire the actual folks that are experts in those crafts and grow them because they'll all look to you for guidance on a daily basis. So having that experience gives you the confidence to say, okay, go this this route, not here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you also have to kind of hold on for your life because in a smaller company, you know, you join it and uh, it kind of takes over your life. <laughs> yes, I don't know what, yes. what your experience has been. I know you have a family, you have two sons that you're very proud of, but, you know, it's it's intense to have these new chapters, right, happen in your life. You said every year there's been a new chapter. Yeah, definitely. Yes, my, my kids were... 11 and uh, 9 when I joined Sumo. So I have seen them transform as I'm trying to transform the business. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, yeah. You've talked about two different things that I really want to deep dive into. One thing you talked about is category building and how that was a a part of the initial phase of, of kind of your work at Sumo. The other is content strategy and the importance of content strategy early on, but also throughout, right? And we talked about this when we had our coffee. It's really kind of the the glue that connects all tactics, especially for a company for whom the website is such an important asset. So I want to ask you a question about the category building first. Selfishly, I'm interested in it because we are also building a category with what we do. But it's one of those double-edged swords where it could be like the the end of the rainbow that you chase forever and you keep pouring money into. Uh, hard to know if you're actually getting ROI. And in some would argue that, you know, if you're executing well on all other tactics, the category will come. There's obviously arguments that you do need to invest in this. There's books about category building. So I guess the the question is, you know, is this an area where you made a lot of investment? What's your belief? Do you have a strong opinion on it? Yeah, totally. Great question. I've seen folks that believe that, okay, let's come up with a category. Let's invest a ton of money, like you said. Let's kind of evangelize the category, just reposition the company, and it'll all have magically happen. I don't believe that. I actually want, I encourage folks to look at it the other way around, which is look at where your customers are today. What is it that they love you for? Mm. What is it that they, that they're getting the most out of Sumo or any company for that matter? Start there. So I have a framework. I built a framework. We just went through another repositioning. Anybody can apply that. You, you start with the value that you're offering the customers. You go from there. What is the unique value proposition? How is this then positioned in the market? And what are analysts saying? Sometimes analysts want you to be something other than who you want to be. So be careful there. So build out. So I went through 40 to 50 customer validations, existing customers, prospects, the customers that chose not to go with us, big companies, small companies, analysts, 
So I kind of compiled a pattern across these folks. So you, it's really important you do that. Even if you have 10, 15 customers, get out there, see what it is that they are benefiting from you. What is the aha moment for them? What's the one big thing that really strikes? Take that and make that obviously a core underpinning of your category. And it's not that you, you don't have to be creative after that. Then you look at your business strategy and, and think about, okay, which direction you want to go with this, with this goal that you have in your hands. And that's how you build categories. And it's really the customers and the stories that you have in making them successful. That, that's what makes great companies. I mean, think about Salesforce, think about Snowflake, think about Microsoft. They've re- they've all reinvented themselves along the way, but yeah. they've stayed true to what it is that they stand for, the brand, the purpose, the mission, and the vision. And then they've evolved into different categories. And And sometimes you see a gap in the market and you want to go after it because you have a very compelling product proposition that nobody else is looking. Sure. But not in thin air. Just base it on what it is that you stand for. I think mm. you build great categories and brands from that. So mm. start with customers. Start with customers. Start with existing value that you deliver. Does that resonate with you? Totally. I think I was actually talking to my team about some of the big companies that work in our space. And it feels like often they talk to marketers about what the world should look like, not what the world actually looks like. And it's good and bad, right? Like it's, it's bad for them. It's good for us because it gives us an opportunity to, to be differentiated and actually listening to our customers yeah. and really understanding where is the actual pain. And maybe this is how you should work, but in reality, you work like this. Like something I often see is that we work with these content teams and the big marketing suites tell them they need a workflow product. And the workflow products are Workfront and Optimizing has one. Everyone has one. But really, we see all of our customers go back to Excel. And the question is why, right? So this is on the one hand, people are telling them how they should work. And on the other hand, it's the reality of how they actually work. So it's just an interesting dichotomy. And I'm sure totally agree across all sectors. Yeah, totally. I think there are many, many companies that have failed chasing that, uh, trying to create this world how it should look like. It's not a bad thing. It has to be connected to reality. Show them the bridge. You're here, but you need to get there. That's what we stand for. But show them the bridge that they can get to. Otherwise, you're going to spend a lot of money creating categories. You're going to have to justify in front of the board why you spent millions of dollars on this rebranding campaign. And what is it resulting in? So I kind of take a very different approach to that. I think when you're also chasing the validation of analysts from Gartner and Forrester, you end up saying a lot of things that sound sexy that are really divorced from the less sexy reality of most of our customers. So I I think it's a really important actually piece of advice to really anchor everything you do from a marketing standpoint in the customer value that you deliver or the customer pain that they experience and and speak to them in, in in a voice that will resonate as opposed to kind of selling pie in the sky. I really like that. I promised we were going to go to content, but I actually want to go to AI because I think, okay, (laughs) I think there's, there's a parallel, you know, with what we're just talking about. And maybe I'm leading the witness here, but there's been obviously this complete frenzy and excitement around AI 
especially AI applications for marketing, for content in particular, generative AI is obviously big. And over the last few weeks, I'm sure you're reading the same news that I'm reading, but OpenAI comes out with a bunch of new new features that are starting to commoditize a full wave of startups out there developing AI applications. Google, from what I hear, is just creating more and more applications on top of BARD and offering really kind of cheap slash free usage of those to customers. I'm finding it so interesting to kind of see how AI is really enabling big companies and small companies to either fail or succeed. And I'm curious what you're seeing uh, and how you're actually using it. Like what's kind of the real state of AI adoption in the enterprise, especially for your team? Yeah, totally. If you think about where marketing is going in the next 10, 15 years, and in my mind anyway, it is going to be even more about how can you effectively meet the customers and prospects where they are in their journey? Each customer is different. I mean, think of the experiences we, you and I drive, like when we are trying to buy a car or trying to shop for something, there are a multitude of aspects. And, and it, that's a challenge for us in the current state of marketing as to how can you read the customer's mind? Mm. I fundamentally believe AI is going, really going to help us transform the way we market to the buyers and meeting them where they are mm. in the next next 10 years. And and it's not like we are not using the AI tools. Like for instance, we have Sixth Sense. We use the signals that we get from these different accounts and what are they searching for? Who are, who's actually in that account searching for it? And how can we actually apply that? It's still not there. It doesn't really tell you yet. It tells you they're probably in market or they're researching, but it doesn't guide you still as to, okay, go after these four people and not these hundred others. I think AI is definitely going to transform that more. Second, goes back to your second topic, we can touch on that, just content. Mm. And, and I see the, the biggest relevance for AI from where we stand right now with all the open AI chat GPT, enterprise GPT, and all of those. And you have a slew of companies working on it. It's all around content, Grammarly, right? So we spend a lot of time within marketing. We are known as the writers and the content experts. And and I think you can drive a lot of productivity with generative AI by automating all the mundane tasks. So in fact, I had my offsite last month and we had some experts come in and just give us a, a primer on all the tools that are available, how other companies are using it, et cetera. So we are, I've anointed one person, which is, believe it or not, my head of content strategy, to come up with the recommendation on what are the top three tools, tools we should be using. And also, it's not about opening a browser and, and asking chat and GPT to give you an answer. It's more about what are the best practices what is a template that we follow and what is important for us and what is our tone and voice and how do we train the models to give us the content that we really need so that our teams can be more productive. Whether you're on social, whether you're writing blog posts, whether you're ARPR. So I, as modern marketing team, every team should be looking at what's going on in, in that industry. And, and it's a fair place to start. Content is a fair place to start. When I say content, not just the content for the website, but also the outreach sequences for SDRs, conversational AI, 
so so start there and and i think it is then going to evolve much into more into the journeys of the buyers and how do you meet them where they are that makes a lot of sense thank you for that speaking of content it's really encouraging to hear you task your content leader with with this question i think a lot of content leaders out there kind of overnight went from being you know former journalists who are really kind of learning the ropes of of business to being tasked with figuring out how to leverage AI. And I think in the first few weeks, we saw a lot of them being nervous about how AI might interfere with their jobs. How are you seeing content leaders really kind of think about approaching AI? Is it that they want AI to write customer-facing content or the internal briefs or any other type of application? What are the early ones you're seeing? The early ones that I'm seeing where they're leveraging this a lot is external content, kind of uh, web-facing content, newsletters, customer-facing newsletters, blog posts. It's not like they are relying entirely on the on the AI to to build everything, but they're working with it. I have not seen any concerns of okay, is my job going to go away? None of that. I think great content leaders understand that using the tools and the technology you have with the AI, you can you can actually use that to get to market faster, increase your velocity, and do much better quality. Like you still need the human involvement there. So that's that's what I'm seeing the first instances of it. That makes sense. I think uh, there's there's been an evolution over the last few weeks where more and more content leaders have become aware of the importance of this to their to their jobs. And even if you actually look at a lot of content role descriptions, so companies that are hiring for content, almost every single job description now talks about the importance of being comfortable with Gen AI. So it's it's yeah. really good for the content leaders listening to realize that the expectation is to not only be comfortable and having used and played around with GPT or others, but really thinking about where you can leverage it in your work to become more productive. Exactly. If you don't, you're going to get left behind because the industry is quickly moving to images and creatives now as marketers. Yeah. yeah. You know, how do you blend, you know, how we do the copywriting? We take days and days to kind of put it all together for a campaign. That's really where it's going. So you should be comfortable with that. So we're nearing the end of our conversation, which I've enjoyed very much. And I have one final question for you. The world's been on fire for different reasons over the last few years. And it's made all of our worlds and challenges just interesting and ever-changing. As you're thinking about 2024, planning for 2024, and you're right now, from what I hear, in the middle of all these launches and changes, which is really exciting, how is Sumo thinking about the role of marketing? How are your budgets looking? Are they staying flat? Are they going down? Are they going up? Are you betting on marketing as a function to kind of lead you into 2024 or maybe stepping back from it a little bit? I'm still here. So one of the things that has really kept me here is that we view marketing as a growth driver, more strategic, not as a cost center. And increasingly, it's very encouraging. And you asked me this question. I have recruiters approach me all the time. And then it used to be, hey, come, our dimension is not working. Come fix that versus we need to get better ROI or whatever to more strategic. Hey, 
We're trying to get to a billion dollar, two billion dollar. We're trying to use velocity enterprise motions. We are trying to run like really prolific campaigns. Come help us. The world is changing more. They're finally understanding the importance of marketing as a growth driver, as a mm. scale and a growth driver. And I, I see this as a definite pattern. It, sales can't do this alone. Product mm. can't do this alone. That is, marketing comes in, basically, it's, it's about getting your message across, getting your buyers interested in your product and at scale, doing this at scale. So that's no ex- exception here at Sumo. That's weird. Marketing is still viewed as a growth driver. Given the co- economic situation, given the wars, given, given the tightening of budgets, et cetera, we are across the board, we are going up, but not as much as the previous years. I think we need to grow and stabilize before we can actually completely go to the next level from an investment standpoint. So that means that as marketers, it's even more important that you know what's driving mm-hmm. the results for you. You have 100 different channels. Like, mm-hmm. what is it that's driving you? Have a strategic point of view. This is where we are getting the results, and this is why we're getting the results. And attribution is a whole different topic. You and I can talk about it next time. That needs to change, by the way. But focus on what's driving ROI right now. As a marketer, as a CMO, that's the best you can do for the next year. 2024 is going to be hard, as, as hard as 2023. So I've not seen a single CMO peer of mine say, okay, we just doubled our budget. Yeah. Everybody's saying it's constant to staying the same. Yeah. 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 I'm hearing do more with less or do more with the same. Yes. So Can you double your pipeline with exactly what you have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pushing us to get more and more creative. So that's there's yeah. there's good in it. I'm seeing it as a challenge as well. Positive yeah. challenge. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Suko. This was such a great conversation. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us and your good energy because you always bring that happy, positive energy to every interaction thank we have. You. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Anda. You, you too. You do a great job of what you do. And uh, good luck. Thanks. Thank you for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Notch, the leading content intelligence platform. If you want to learn more about how to drive real business results with your content, check us out at notch.com. That's K-N-O-T-C-H dot com.